Professionally Geek. I'm Luke Babb. And I'm Lauren Yarbrough. If you don't know what we're doing here by now, then uh, you probably should read the many places that we have it written down. Or you can just go with it. It's fine. Right. This month, we were going to talk briefly, because God knows we all know enough about this already, the world and like how we're dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, As, well, we were ta- discussing whether or not we should talk about... The world, the world ending on our, you know, happy geek podcast because we do this little section like marginalia and like what's up with us and what's up with us? I mean, protesting and avoiding the news and reading a lot of the news and then avoiding it again. (laughs) You know, that's not fun or geeky. (laughs) Right. We both went to the Women's March on Washington, uh, colon, Chicago. Chicago. Chicago yeah. Redux, Chicago yeah. Breakdown. That was that was interesting. I mean, you know, it was. Uh, I I've I've complex feelings. I mean, it was nice. We brought snacks. We handed out snacks to children and college students. We were equally excited to receive snacks. Um, it was real, real big. I want to say we were the second second largest, largest? in the country. Yeah, I think third. I think after LA weighed in. Oh, that's right, LA. Yeah. Okay. So second or third largest in the country. Um, lots of kids, you know. Families, morning. right? Saturday morning. It was very bright and lots sunshiny. Of white people. Very few police, probably, because there were lots of white people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was nice. I'm hoping that a lot of follow through happens, and we'll see. But it's shit like that, where it's like, oh, this isn't really geeky but this is what we've got to work with well and i mean i think that it is in a lot of ways or i think that it is in a certain in the geek community um because i think that that well which which community am i talking about right um but i was really interested by the fact that like you know we're out here in the middle of protest land and there are signs all over and a lot of those signs are like actively referencing geek nerd like culture star wars um and like living there living on the internet uh i was sort of wanting to talk about how we are like using geek stuff in the resistance you know i think that we are and i think that it's like uh, a source of of strength for a lot of people who are trying to mobilize them this time. Right. I mean, I don't think it's... Because there were a lot of Princess Leia's, a lot of um, really great, like, Carrie Fisher quotes. Hamilton, obviously. Um, some Harry Potter. But I don't think it's... I mean, in some ways, I'm sure, for people who, like, make and sell t-shirts or whatever, there's a really... There's a real great marketing angle there that someone is capitalizing on, and I'm not mad at it. But... Also, for a lot of people, I think it's just about this is how I can connect to the outside world and make it less scary. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I definitely knew 
an embarrassingly small amount about how our electoral system worked until last year. Um, and it was sort of like having, oh, well, one, like, is this what, like, the next level of adulthood feels like? But also, two, like, this is, this is an unpleasant amount of reality. <laughs> this is, this, the ratio is really fucked up here between my, like, let me look up how the electoral college works and how their rules are based versus the amount of time in my brain that I give to the exp- Avengers expanded universe. So I almost <laughs> feel like it's it's a filter that people are using to deal and like translate things so that it I don't know feels more real, less real. I do can't. So approachably real. So you're thinking of it as like a like a distancing mechanism. I I mean it depends on who you are. Right, cuz I was thinking of it more as a contextualization sort of thing, right? Like I don't have a lot of models for how to be in the opposition to authority, right? That don't come from media. Like those are the those are the stories that I was told about people who fight uh, about people who stand right. up to the empire. Well, and see, I think that has a lot to do with your experience too, because you know if you as I did, uh, learned about MLK Jr. eight times in the course of your middle school experience. <laughs> you might have, have have more close to home stories to contextualize this in. No, what's what's weird, what's weird is like the nice white people in the streets. Like what? that's weird. <laughs> the 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 that's that's the part that makes me go do I need a sci-fi story to make this less strange? Um, feeling like the line is being blurred a little bit between people who are like mainstream or more powerful and people who are the oppressed. Like that's... Um, right. Uh, it's, it's, it's a much, much longer conversation, but um, I don't know. I mean, and I, and I think that that's... Like obviously that's a that's a difference in our experience. Like mm-hmm. I I don't have the experience growing up a minority. Um, I'm shocked. Right. Who even are you? Right. Um. And so like now that I and like I, I identify as one. I live as one. Um. And I'm in a political situation that is actively pointed against me. Like that's that's news, and I think that that's news for a lot of people, including, for example, white women. Well, yeah, and though in some ways, I almost feel like like having a parallel to draw between like, oh, this fascist regime and like this new Star Wars movie, like that's closer to me than these black and white pictures of people getting shot with water hoses in the street. And is that a personal problem? Probably. But, like, it resonates, like... Well, I mean, and also... Different things resonate. Right. And I mean, like, we resonate with the stories that we're told that make the most... That make the most, like, personal contact with us. Like, I've been told a lot of history in my time, but I'm much more likely to have, like, an emotional connection to fictional characters because their stories are told differently. Right. Um... And, like, genre specifically is all about using metaphor 
metaphorical situations to talk about real world problems. Right. Like I've definitely seen a lot more pictures circulating my social media of like Captain America punching Nazis than like, you know, real people punching Nazis. (laughs) Right. Certain. Except for that one guy. Right. That's probably a problem, yeah. But I, I'm I'm all about meeting people where they are, and being and like if if you need to like I'm gonna go out and get a Rebel Alliance tattoo. Like that's important to me, and it has been important to me since before all of this. But like, it's still a part of me reminding myself that like you can't give up, and mm-hmm. that's. Like, however you tell that story to yourself is good and valid and good. And I think it's just about the same thing that people have been doing for millennia is, you know, using myth to stay alive. It's like sometimes your myth has to do with, you know, gods and sometimes it has to do with uh, space freedom fighters. I mean, we would probably we would probably depart on like what myth means right around here, right. but another conversation we don't have time for at this time, right? Um, but I get what you mean about like stories that we tell ourselves, story that we tell each other, stories that help us ground and deal with the situations that we face. Right. Um, There's a big important difference between stories that are allowed to be flexible around like what is true or truth and stories that are like historical record that it's important to get the names of the dates straight and blah 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 right yeah i mean and i think that one of the reasons so we talked to rachel uh this week and she is all about using kindness and faith as acts of acts of uh resistance um which i thought was super good and worth hearing um So let's sort of switch over to her. Awesome. Enjoy. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Rachel Wills. I am currently a grad student who is almost done and trying to finish a thesis. Right. Um, Working retail, living in... Hub's craziness, and I hate baseball. Mm. Um, trying to figure out like what the hell to do with my life. Are you ABD? You are, aren't you? All but all but doctorate, all but your dissertation. Yeah, but like bump that down to like masters? MA. Okay. Yeah. So you're all but all but master's thesis. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Awesome. I've really stretched this out. What is, what is your thesis? Remind me. Do you have a topic? Yeah, so I do. Um, my topic is on, well, maybe to back up. So my degree that I'm pursuing is in women's and gender studies. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up in a graduate assistantship that I gladly took mm-hmm. um, because it accepted me. And um, what I ended up doing in it was working with high school students and undergraduate students doing a lot of teaching Mm -hmm. um, using feminist pedagogy, feminist teaching methods. Um, And I guess found that I actually am pretty jazzed about education. Maybe not so much the traditional format, but 
I'm really excited about like learning mm-hmm. um, and how that plays out. So my master's thesis uh, was inspired by that, um, and it is on the topics of wisdom, resistance, and spirituality and vulnerability. Wisdom resist in, in the classroom. Yes. Okay. So basically, how do these things that we are really hard to study, which maybe is why this is taking me so long, (laughs) these things that are so abstract like vulnerability and um, spirituality as a source of resistance uh, and wisdom in the classroom, like how do those things play out? How are they important? I believe they're important. I believe they're real based on personal experience. And so maybe what I'm trying to do is just like write a paper about how I'm actually right. <laughs> um, Isn't that what everybody does? Isn't yeah, that what I, I do? guess so. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what that's on. I like the idea of spirituality as a source of resistance. So a source of resistance to forms of oppression. Okay. This is where it gets tricky. So again, I'm a, um, maybe a genius, or you might want to use another word for it, uh, decided I have two feminist scholars on my committee mm-hmm. and one religious studies scholar whose focus is she's a Jewish ethicist. Mm-hmm. So I've got one camp that is like, yeah, use spirituality, you use that phrase, go for it. And then I have this other person on my committee who's like, what do you mean by spirituality? What counts as legitimate? Mm-hmm. And then, like, what do you mean by that? And how do you put parameters on it? Mm-hmm. Um, you can't. Can you? No. I, <laughs> I don't think you can. Right. And I see the merits of both sides. I see the merits of it being so open, so anything that there's no good way to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I definitely think that it's important to define, I guess, person to person, you know, what what does spirituality mean for you? Sure. But how to talk about it in a more general sense, I don't think you can. Sure. I mean, even if you're talking about a group of people that are, you know, define themselves as Christians. Right. Even within that, you're going to get a ton of different practices and... Right, and approaches to things. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. No, I've been I've been doing a lot of thinking about, like, religion and stuff on, on, on those lines as well, especially, like, the last couple of weeks. Yeah. It's, it's tough to have conversations with people who agree with you, much less, like, exactly. all the other people. And as soon as somebody starts being, like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, things, things just break down. So. And this feeling of I don't even know if I'm doing it, you know, finger quotes right, or I don't even know what this fully means to me, and then to have somebody else say you're doing it wrong. Right. It's kind of a throw your hands up in the air sort of moment. Right. Walk away. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't know, I have so many things that I want you to talk about, and I'm not sure even, like, where to start 
you have so many like cool points about on here about like things that you are super excessively excessive enthusiasm with quote marks yeah so i in preparation for this Mm -hmm. uh maybe like a true geek um looked up definitions of you know geek versus nerd versus fandom Mm -hmm. um but the thing i loved geek it had multiple, but one of them was having an excessive enthusiasm for something, <laughs> which I have excessive enthusiasm for so much in my life. And then the other one was a peculiar person mm. uh, perceived to be overly intellectual, unfashionable, or socially awkward. Sure. Definitely the last one I got down. Unfashionable probably most of the time um overly intellectual that might that sounds like too nice you know (laughs) (laughs) i mean overly intellectual you're you're i don't know i feel like geekiness because you know the the stereotype of a geek is like somebody who's super into like fantasy and sci-fi yeah right um and does the whole con scene and like I've done that. I am that. I'm going to be talking to a lot of people who are, probably. Yeah. Um, but that's not... That's fake limitations, you know? Yeah. Um, I like the ex- excessively enthusiastic mm-hmm. idea. Uh, I don't know if anybody can be overly intellectual. Is that a thing? Can Does it like shut down how you can I communicate? Think, I think it could be a thing. Okay. Um, I, like, I want, I say this from a loving place, uh, but some of my graduate classes I took with both women's and gender studies and some philosophy, and then I want to say somebody from a geography program. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the philosophy students were mostly PhDs, and I gotta say, everything they said sounded amazing. Everything they said, I was like, I don't know what you just said, but God. That sounds good. <laughs> but I don't, I have no idea what they said. Right. And every time they talked, I was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, maybe you can be overly intellectual. Maybe it, it can be a communication thing. I feel like maybe, because, so, so my time in the academy. Um, the academy. The academy. Um, for me, it's all, it's about... It's about gatekeeping mm-hmm. because yeah. there's, you know, there's that maxim. If you can't explain something to your mom who doesn't have any background in it, you don't really understand it properly. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm but, a believer of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I am too. I feel like, especially when you're, when you're in like your master's program, a lot of the theorists that you read, a lot of the people, especially in like gender studies mm-hmm. uh, and women's studies, the language that they use is so specialized. Yeah. And on the one hand, it kind of has to be. They're talking about very specialized ideas. Yeah. Um, but on, but on the other hand, it's so specialized and it's so entrenched in like the study that mm-hmm. it's not accessible to anybody who doesn't have yeah. a degree. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like the same thing happens in the geek community a lot of the time. What's really funny is when it happens in like, you said you're a Harry Potter fan, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What really, what's really funny is when it happens in like Harry Potter. Have you gotten into any fights about like houses? Like which house would you be in? Which house is the best? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Um, I am a 1000% believer that mm-hmm. I'm in Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. I don't like I don't even think that's up for debate to be honest. And I have my reasons why I think Hufflepuff is in the grant like is the best. Right, sure. I mean and I feel like I will well, refrain from giving my reasons. No, no, but give give me your reasons. Give okay. Them, give okay. Them okay. So a couple things. Right. One, Helga Hufflepuff. I love her mission of like, you know, so you have these four founders and Helga Hufflepuff is like, I'm the house that takes everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think like just from my educational experience, and maybe this is like too much connection with like my personal feelings and Harry Potter, um, but there is something so amazing to me about that like we we take everybody and believe that like everybody has something to contribute Mm -hmm. one love that two their dormitory is next to the kitchen (laughs) like strategically that makes sense right like come on right sure yeah you're hungry at night you know the hufflepuffs are getting the cookies (laughs) not to bring up cookies again They've had the least amount of dark wizards come out of theirs. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. I will say I was a little... One thing that I am a little upset about is I think that Luna Lovegood should be in Hufflepuff and not Ravenclaw. How come? She's she's such a goofball, but she loves everybody. She's so sweet. I mean, she is, but I feel like like the house is... Like, you can have the, one, let's talk about sorting people by personality type at the age of 11. That's a fabulous <laughs> point. Um, but two, like, you can have elements of other houses and still, f- like, choose to fit into one. Absolutely. I think, I think Luna... is dedicated to knowledge and maybe it's not knowledge in a way that like a whole bunch of other people recognize it she's very intuitive Mm -hmm. with her knowledge Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like there's something very i think that i think that luna would have been a pretty good candidate for most of the houses yeah um and i could see an argument made for her in a lot of different ways yeah um because it takes a certain sort of bravery to like Know that people are making fun of you for your beliefs. Be entirely aware of it. And that you don't fit in. And still continue to do exactly what it is that you do. I don't know. I like Luna. I will say the three characters in the Harry Potter series Mm -hmm. that literally have made me cry Mm -hmm. are Luna, Mm -hmm. Neville, and Dobby. 
Those are the three. And with Neville it... <laughs> and Luna, it's always like the bullying mm-hmm. that gets me. Mm-hmm. No, they, um, I think one of the moments with Luna for me was definitely, I want to say it's the end of book four, book five, okay. where everybody's like at the house, at, at like the final dinner, and Harry's. It must be the end of book five, because Harry is mourning Sirius, and he's not at the Mm. dinner, and Luna is, like, gathering up her things from where everybody's hidden them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just friggin' tragic, one. Yeah. She must be 13. Yeah. Two, like, she's so cheerful about it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and on one hand, you know, maybe you could argue, oh, like, she, she's just straight up oblivious. Right. Like, she doesn't even realize, but I I do think she does. I think it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. I don't think that you can not realize. I think it's choosing yeah. how to react to it. Yeah. But no, I see your point for Hufflepuff for her. Yes. So, when I was growing up, I would get super into things. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I shouldn't say when I was growing up, I still do. Right. Um, but I, like, remember being in high school, and I just, like, got super into Russian history. Like, you know, revolution to early Soviet era. Right. I'm like, I love this. And so I'm, I'm like, in high school reading a book on Stalin that's, like, you know, what, two, three inches thick, and... Um, I just wanted to, like, know everything about it, you know, and... Emphatic nodding, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, sort of that, like, excessive, and I remember feeling like, this is weird, like, you know, wasn't something, now I can, like, I'm I'm very open about, I'm like, yeah, I'm a total weirdo, Yeah. whatever, Um, but in high school, you kind of try to hide those things. Sure. Um, Or I got, like, super into the show ER. Yeah. Sure. I I need I need to watch ER. I am aware of my of my like needing to watch ER. <laughs> yeah. And I like loved it, but I really wanted to understand like the lingo happening. Mm-hmm. So I bought like a medical dictionary. That's so, awesome. So like I'd be sitting in bed watching it and they would say, you know, pulmonary embolism and I'd be like, "All right." And I'd pause it. <laughs> I'd look it up. That's so great. And if it was something I found particularly interesting, I would like go to mayoclinic.com and like read about like symptoms and like treatments and but I I think that like excitement about things was sort of like not sort of socially acceptable. Sure. And it was funny today, my boss. Um I mean, she was asking about this, and I, I ter- used the terms geek and nerd, right. which are different, but from my understanding. Yeah. Um, and she's like, well, you don't really seem like a geek. I don't, you're not a geek. And I think what she was saying was, like, you're not a, this, like, negative thing. Right. You're socially acceptable. Right. And, yeah, I just think it's, like, one of those things where it's, like... Do you think everybody's secretly a geek? 
Yeah, uh, spoilers. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, about something. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the things that characterize a geek... And it's like, it's like those people on... You've done internet dating? Have you done internet dating? I have, Where yes. people are like, I'm really into people who get excited about stuff. Uh, <laughs> like, like that's that's something I see on internet dating, or I used to see, I guess, on internet dating Yeah, profiles. you're married. <laughs> right, right, right. We used... When we first moved to town, we used uh, OkCupid to like... Meet people. Meet, make friends. Like friends. Yeah, just yeah. make friends, absolutely. Um... And, and there were a whole bunch of people who were like, I really love people who get excited about things. Um, and I feel like the fact that, one, they felt like they had to clarify that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, because I feel like everybody, all my friends, all, all the people I know who are like super exciting, get really into something. Yeah. But, and maybe it is just the part of our brain that is still 16. Um, has been taught that that's not acceptable, that they yeah. shouldn't take up that much room in conversation, that mm-hmm. they're boring to somebody, or um, I don't, th- that the thing that they love is not good enough. Yeah. Um, and so you get a whole bunch of people who are super into something, and that thing is like, a good and cool thing. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not Stalin. Well, maybe not Stalin. I mean, the, I, <laughs> I, if you were a history major, there, nobody, nobody would be like, how dare you? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, we're just all taught that we shouldn't be. And I feel like that's why geek culture has such a stick up its ass about like, mm-hmm. no, I'm a geek and I identify strongly as a geek and like this no is one what, else can get in, right? And this yeah. is what a geek is, and it's because if you're told, and but if somebody has told you for long enough that the thing that you care about and the thing that you do is not acceptable, mm-hmm. like taking that back feels like a revolutionary exercise, mm-hmm. um, and so getting super into the thing that you are into and being Mm -hmm. loud and obnoxious about it and feeling very defensive about the fact that you are. Like, I feel like everybody's a geek. It's the people who are, who identify as one and, like, have preconceived notions about what that means. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of where there's, not, not problems necessarily, but, like, a conversation to be had because we, yeah. all, we all love something yeah it's great to be able to say i really love this thing yeah um but it shouldn't be something that you're like worried about yeah listening to Marginally Geek. Uh, just a reminder, you can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, email us all under the same name, marginallygeek at gmail.com. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, we always love to hear from you guys. And if you ever have a minute, please rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes. It helps us figure out, you know, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see in the future. And uh, let's get back to the interview.
I guess something that in my, like, things I'm passionate about. Right. Like, as we're talking about it and it's unfolding, I guess a lot of my passions are more around connecting with people. Mm-hmm. Like, building connections with people. Yeah. Um, and for me, a lot of that has been, like, in educational settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, for me, I put one of the things that I'm, like, passionate about is kindness. Mm-hmm. Which sounds really, you know, like you got Ellen, like, dancing around, like, kindness. Um, but... I don't think... I think a lot of times that's associated with, like, you're a doormat. Mm. Or you are traditionally, you know, a very feminine person. Mm-hmm. You're very nice. You're very kind. Um, and I don't think that kindness has to come at the expense of a lack of boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, because I think you're using this word, like, really specifically. Talk to me about, like, what do you mean by kindness? Kindness. Define define kindness more. Oh my God. Should have looked that one up on the <laughs> um, Just like a working definition so that we're both talking about the same thing. Yeah, a working definition. You sound like my thesis committee. <laughs> um, I would say like a sense of love mm-hmm. and empathy and patience um, towards all of these things in your life. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I really like that. I feel like I've got all sorts of ways I want to go with that conversation. Um, because I feel like... So activism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and just like interaction with people. Both of these things. Which I, I don't necessarily separate those things. I feel mm-hmm. like as a person who... Especially in our like super connected age. Yeah. The stuff that you think you have so much potential to like give to other people Mm -hmm. um and you don't have to like corner somebody and be like talk to me about politics and also religion (laughs) um you can just be like i want to post this on my facebook um right done done activist (laughs) (laughs) um but i feel like the because i see a lot of my friends and this is this is something that like i struggle with myself i see a lot of people who i who i know who are activists or in, involved or who are minorities um, get really like pained or defensive or mm. angry or like there's a lot of negative emotions that can come with activism yeah because you're rightly so right rightly yeah. so yeah absolutely um, and when conversations go down especially online because online gives you that nice like big space between yourself. Big buffer. Uh-huh. Yep. Like there's not a lot of there's not a lot of like kindness is not the first reaction that happens, I think. And I think that when people come into a conversation with like mutual respect and and the willingness to like give ground, mm-hmm. conversation happens a lot easier and a lot more usefully. But it's really hard to like keep that level of yeah kindness. Like yeah, is that does that make sense? Is that yeah, absolutely. The same thing? Yeah, yeah. So much of what I'm passionate about is the act of like being connected mm-hmm. with 
other people and what that can do. Um, and I think that really like starts with kindness for me. Um, and so I get excited about like how can connection make education better? Mm-hmm. Like how can connection make you know my life richer and fuller? Like how can connection help people cross some of these divides that right like it's very easy to come to with your stake in the ground mm-hmm. and you're just furious and it's like there's no dialogue mm-hmm. um yeah so it's something I, and like kindness to yourself i think we live in a world that's so hypercritical of everything mm-hmm. so like you know gender wise the messages that you get about how you're supposed to look, how you're supposed to dress, how you're supposed to act, like how how many people are you supposed to date? Mm-hmm. Um, and I could sit at home and be like, wow, like I'm really like, you know, can I, you know, fucking out my life? Or I can be like, I'm living my life mm-hmm. and I love it. I'm enthusiastic about it. And I want to spread that like positive energy in the world versus... Yeah. I think that's really, like, I think that's really pretty deeply, words, words, words are, words are escaping me. Edgy, not edgy. Um, like, uh, like, That's me. I'm edgy. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, revolutionary, though, being able, being able to have that sense of kindness in general, at people, at yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of the the people that we point towards as like real good people what you should be like yeah. are doing that yeah um does can I ask because religion was one of the things that you yeah were I feel I feel very deeply about this this is something that I'm really interested in yeah. does it tie into that for you yes um I was raised so my I would say my Dad's family was Methodist. Mm. Uh, he himself didn't do a lot of church, um, but you know, like grew up in traditionally Protestant Christian family. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's faith was a little bit like she's a little bit more invested in it, um, and really sort of had a lot of formation in uh, the Baptist church. But I went to Catholic schools, and part of the deal was like, oh, your kid can go to second grade here, but they have to be, they have to go through first communion, which means they're Catholic. So I was, I was always raised Catholic and like in this Christian tradition. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you learn about, you know, do unto others as you would want done on to you mm-hmm. um, but you also you know as you get older you realize there's a lot of things that are and maybe this is like I don't know gonna ruffle some feathers but like that it. are also pretty not okay um, you know in the bible it's not just this like happy-go-lucky like be nice to everybody there's also a lot of really aggressive messages that like cause a lot of issues in the world Mm -hmm. um 
especially for the LGBTQA plus community, which is another thing I'm pumped about, interested in. <laughs> um, pumped to be pumped. queer. Yes, pumped <laughs> to be queer. Um, but yeah, you know, like I think the thing that made an impact on me is my mom, someone who's really generous. Mm-hmm. Um, so she like would make a lasagna for somebody and like drop it off or she would make friends with, and maybe this is more of a personality type and less of like a religious <laughs> uh, thing, but you know, would make friends with like the guy on vacation at the rental car place. And you'd be like, oh my God, can we just go? <laughs> You know, or, like, would stop and talk to people who were homeless. And I just noticed that she made a point when she was faced with interpersonal interactions um, that she, like, reached out to people. Right. Um, And so I think that definitely like that passed on to me in terms of like interpersonal interactions of kindness and whatnot. Um, and I do think there are ties to that, like via the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so my upbringing was super sheltered. And a lot of that was like the school system that I was in. Um, and I went to this little tiny high school in a cornfield. Like at the time, I think the attendance was 400 kids total was two two floors um but you know it was a catholic high school and it definitely had you know very specific messages you know on the books at Mm -hmm. school obviously not that all the kids were you know going home and praying and i you know again like everybody's life outside of school looked very different but Mm -hmm. um I think I was I was really raised to believe that life was good when you had a su- successful career, you were in a heterosexual pairing that was monogamous and for life, and, you know, I mean, the nice church community thing is still kind of there. And, like, do you have these and, but these things were sort of these markers of success. Which one of them broke down for you first? Which one broke down for me first? Well, also the first thing that I think challenged me was I remember feeling conflicted, and this this starts with gender roles, Mm. of, okay, so I'm going to this high school, it's college prep, and I feel like it's like lawyers, doctors, lawyers, doctors, like, do this. and But then also at the same time feeling pressure of like, Okay, so, but I'm going to get married and have kids, too. And thinking, like, as a female-bodied person who, right, would be, like, carrying the children and, like, doing a large portion of the caring, I'm also going to, like, have this crazy career? Because I had a mom who had a career. And she had me, and she was an amazing mother, but, like... I saw how much work that was. I I certainly can't say I know what it's like, but I mean, I, I saw it. Like she worked really hard and traveled and then also was my parent. And I, I do remember having thoughts about like, 
that's a lot. Like, and not feeling like it was okay just to be like a stay-at-home mom, but then also thinking, but it, it's not just okay if I'm just a career person. Um, so I think that was the first, the general thing that kind of like, I had those, that tug-of-war going on. Mm-hmm. And then I think college, the like being straight thing was probably like the big one that like broke down for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I fell really hard for one of my friends of the same gender uh, in college and like realized it, right? Mm. Like it like clicked. Um, Not that I hadn't had crushes before in my life, but it never registered as that. Mm -hmm. But this one, it finally, like I was old enough or had seen enough that it clicked. And it was like, oh wait, like, this person isn't just a really, really, really cool friend. I want to date them. I wish this person would be my girlfriend. And then I think the way that I tried to resolve that initially was like, okay, this is a fluke. This is just one person. I'm in college. You know, you're partying, you're mixing it up. Like, you'll look back and laugh at these years. It's cool. It doesn't mean anything. And then, you know, just like with time, realizing, no, this is not going to change. This is your reality. And then being like, oh, shit. (laughs) Like, I got to go home and tell my parents this now. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to tell friends this now. Like, is this something that I put on Facebook? Is it not? Did the people that I grew up with, are they going to look at my Facebook and think I'm, like, disgusting and terrible? Right? Like, all these questions. And it it is a very slow process. Um, and I think I'm still kind of afraid of it. You know, I'm still afraid of, like, making somebody uncomfortable, but I'm trying to care less. I think that the huge fear that I had was, like, okay... So up until this point, you know, up until through age 18, you know, I mean, on paper, right? Like I'm the same political affiliation with my parents. I roughly have the same probably expectations about my future. Um, My, you know, the way that I define my religious beliefs are pretty, you know, they're in the bounds of like the families, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. And this could make or break it. And I, you know, you realize when that moment, when like this one thing could ruin this relationship that is so important is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like, so that's how thin the line was of Mm -hmm. our relationship. Like this could make or break it. I had a super privileged experience in that, like, it it went very well with my family. But, like, I had a, you know, I had a couple of friends who dropped off the radar. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, you wonder, you're like, is that it? Mm-hmm. Is that... That's all it took? Right.
So there's a whole bunch more of this interview with Rachel. I talked to her for something like two hours. Um, and for this whole major section of it, what we're talking about is things like faith and kindness and what kindness means and how you activate it. Um, I am planning to release that whole, just the whole thing, pretty much unedited, uh, for those of you who, like me, want to listen to all of that. But these were sort of the most pertinent bits of it that I, that I cobbled together with my, with my self-taught skills. And yeah, I think it's really great. Um, but I'm also really excited about this FanWorks Appreciation Quarter that you've got going on. Oh my gosh, Celeste is... The best. Uh, she and I talked on the phone this last weekend about cosplay, which I realized like 20 minutes in to figuring it out. It was like way to uh, figure out a really good subject to display on the radio. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just going to make it real easy. But um, no, you guys should look her up. We have links to her Facebook page and a couple of people that we talk about in the notes. Um, she's great. I believe um, on her Instagram, she's doing a 28 days of cosplay thing where she's featuring just a lot of other cosplayers of color, which is awesome. There is so much skill on display in uh, these works. It's truly great. But yeah, maybe even take a second and look those up before you listen to this portion so that at least you have a visual to go with this cosplay conversation. So if you're going to do that, that's Soba Noodles. S-O-B-A-N-O-O-D-L-E-Z. Yeah. Um, on Instagram, Facebook. Facebook. Right. Basic questions to begin. Um, what's your name? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Celeste. I am a cosplay associate at Star Clipper in St. Louis. Uh, Cosplay-wise, I uh, have, I don't know what I, what I do, I just cosplay. <laughs> um, so I mostly just cosplay like characters that I think look cool. Um, so uh, I first, or er, I cosplayed as uh, Sailor Pluto. Um, I think as, a, as like my first real cosplay. Yeah. Um, I think I was, yeah, and I tried to do like Miranda from Mass Effect. Um, so it's just like characters that I thought looked really cool and I want to try my hand at. That's awesome. How did you like get into it? Like you said, you just kind of do it, but like did somebody like, you know, introduce you to it or did you just see it somewhere? Um, um, I like didn't actually fully get into it until recently. Um, uh, because or how I got into it recently is because my friend Kirsten um, was gonna go to Anime STL and she went to cosplay as Sailor Venus, so she asked me to be her Pluto. So we just kind of like met up at her house and just started making this costume. Um, nice. And then after we went to Anime STL, we met uh, a couple of different people that like kept asking like, "Hey, do you have like a cosplay page?" And we're like, "Uh, <laughs> no." <laughs> and so like that. That was the first I had ever heard of that, of somebody, like, having a page for their cosplay. And so mm-hmm. she joined a group called POC Cosplayers, the people, people of Color Cosplayers, and I joined that group as well. And that really opened my eyes to, like, the real cosplay world, where there's people who, like, have their own pages, they, like, create content, like, consistently, they, like, get photo shoots done, they, like, do interviews and stuff, they, like, 
uh, work with other companies is like booth based. So yeah. Wow, that's that. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a lot. Um, yeah, I, and I kind of just got like sucked into it. It's kind of like a whirlwind, whirlwind right now because like. I, it all started just, like, last year, February 2016, where I just put on, like, a cat suit, and it was Miranda for fun, and now, <laughs> like, a year later, I have, like, my own cosplay page, I actually have two cosplay pages, I, I'm working at Anime STL and uh, St. Louis Library Con as Allura for Lionforge Comics, so it's, like, I'm legit now. <laughs> That's so cool. It must be nice to work at Star yeah. Clipper too, because then you can just come to work and cosplay, and like nobody cares. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's another thing too is that I had like cosplay classes um, mm-hmm. at Star Clipper, so like some people would like show up, and I'd tell them like how to get into cosplay. I had like different stuff, so like I think I had like four or five different classes, and they're just different. They're either like a workshop or like a classroom thing where I'm just like, all right, so this is how I got into cosplay. This is how you can do it. Nice, nice. So yes. tell me more about the, what's it, the Cosplayers of Color group? Is that what it's called? So POC Cosplayers is a Facebook group, mm-hmm. um, and I guess a, a Facebook page, and it's been around, I, I don't actually know how long it's been around, I think maybe like two years, three years, something like that, and um, it's basically just a place for people of color, whether you're like black or Asian or whatever, if you consider yourself a person of color or if you're an ally to people of color, then you can join this group. Nice. Um, obviously, you have to cosplay <laughs> or at least oh, right. be interested in cosplay. Um, and so it's just like, it's just basically a safe space where anybody can post their their, their costumes, people can um, ask questions, or it's really a hangout spot. So I've seen a lot of people just post like, you know, uh, their excitement, <laughs> excuse me, their excitement over a new movie coming out, or their excitement over a new comic that just came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is a place for like nerdy POCs to get together. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but so, like the way that it's, I guess, um, changed how I cosplay, or at least how I view the world of cosplay, is just that, like, without it, I thought it was just, I thought cosplay was just go to a con, put on a costume for like a day or three. And then that's it. it that, that's where it ends. Mm-hmm. But, like, but joining POC Cosplayers, I realized that, like, it can be a full-time deal where you, like, have photo shoots and you, like, <clears throat> pass out your photos. Like, you put your photos on, on pages and stuff and get more people to, like, come to your page and see your work. You can have, like, Patreon. People can, like, pay you to, like, dress up as a costume that they want or, like, oh you know, or, or, you know, there's just so many different things that, that people are doing that I just had no idea you could do. And the only way I never, I ever knew about it was through POC Cosplayers. I also, like, met so many different people just through that one group. It's ridiculous. Like, the number of friends that I have on Facebook just, like, exploded. <laughs> like, pretty much, like, everyone I talk to nowadays are, like, they're cosplayers. <laughs> <laughs> so great. So circling back for like a quick second, I've been seeing a lot on the Tumblr, especially of people, you know, talking about cosplay and like, well, this person's doing it for the wrong reasons or often uh, this person's being really racist and they don't seem to understand why. And like, can you talk about yeah. that at all? Because I feel like for people who maybe aren't in it or haven't had to ask themselves should I dress up as this character just because I like them that can be really like I don't I don't understand what the controversy is like the controversy controversy is 
blackface really or just like changing your race in general mm-hmm. like you can cosplay whoever you want that's that's one thing that really does frustrate me about people getting into cosplay they think that they can't cosplay someone because that character is black or that character is like asian or something you can cosplay whoever you want mm-hmm. it's, it's a costume but when you're getting into like darkening your skin when it's not naturally dark or even lightening it that's not okay because Right. Do you find that you end up having these conversations like primarily with white people or is it like a concern that goes around with like cosplayers of color or POC cosplay as well? It's actually POC cosplayers too, not because they do it themselves. It's because they're defending the person who like did blackface essentially. Oh, interesting. I've actually only once come across someone who said that they're that they're black but they cosplay as like someone white like they that they changed their skin to look white like that was Weird. really surprising to me because i had never heard someone like a poc doing that yeah. uh, it's mostly like lighter skin people going dark that's the problem so if it's okay with you i want to ask you like just some real quick questions to so that okay. people can like you know find your work and uh see oh my god this uh, Princess Kita that you did is my favorite. <laughs> um, sorry, I just got really distracted. Like, I just really wanted to make sure and say that. <laughs> um, but, right. Anyway, quick things. Um, what's the next cosplay that you're working on now? I'm working on Princess Allura from Voltron. Yes. So I'm doing both her princess dress and her, um, like, battle suit. Awesome. Um, what's your favorite cosplay that, well, that you've done or that someone else has done? Like, just like your all-time favorite. Um, okay, so my favorite cosplay that I've done was Team Skull because it was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, was, it was really easy to make. It probably only took me, like, like three hours or something to put it together. Um, and it's just... It's just like a giant joke, just going around like with the crazy hand signs or whatever, like they do in the <laughs> game, and just like pretending to be like this over the top punk. It's so much fun. It's really just it's a really comfortable cosplay too. Um, yeah, I'd have to say that someone else has done. Oh my gosh, there's so many people that I'm just like in love with. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd have to say that my favorite has to be Wreck It Ronnie. Um, her costumes are absolutely amazing. Um, she just looks like so super sexy. Um, but, but my favorite one is uh, her Yoko cosplay from Gurren Lagann. Okay, so if there's like one, like if you had unlimited resources, <laughs> what is the one cosplay that you like haven't done yet, but that you would absolutely want to? Um, there isn't a specific cosplay that I want to do. I know I, I want to do armored cosplay. So like full mm. armor, like World of Warcraft type armor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't know what specific type I'd want to do just yet. Okay, so if people are, like, wanting to get into cosplay and don't necessarily know, like, who else is doing it or where to start, like, do you have, like, one piece of advice you would give someone who just wants to, like, try it out, baby steps? I would, yeah, I would say at first, join a community. So, like, if you're a POC, join POC cosplayers. Um, or if you are... Um, just looking for something local, then type in, like, cosplay and then your city name or, like, city name and cosplay or something like that. Just look up a group that you can join um, because other, like, at least for me, it's really helped me because I've seen, like, I've met other people that want, that uh, 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 inspire me to do other cosplays that I wouldn't have done just, like, by myself, like, just going to a con. 
And then, obviously, get a costume. <laughs> <laughs> like, to cosplay, you got to wear a costume. <laughs> mm-hmm. So either buy one or make one or, or um, you know, use old clothes or something and make it into something else. Whatever you got to do, put on a costume. Um, where can the people find you? Do you are there cons that you're cool with telling people you're going to, or like what's your yeah. online handles and such? All right, so uh, you can find me online at um, uh, Soba Noodles Cosplay on Facebook and on Instagram, and um, yes. you can also find me in the KOC Cosplayers Group. I'm there. I pretty much comment on like everything. I'm going to Cotscon, which is on. Uh, it's February 17th through the 19th. It is in Maryland. So I'll be there at Katakan. I'm also going to be at uh, ECCC in Seattle on uh, March 2nd through the 5th. And I'll also be at uh, BlurredCon, which is in D.C. in July. I'll also be at Anime St. Louis, um, and I'll also be at St. Louis uh, Public Library Con. All right. Have a good one, Celeste. Thank you again. All right. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Marginally Geek. You can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes by that name. And you can also email us at marginallygeek at gmail.com. Our artistic producer and host is Lucas Babb. Executive producer is me, Lauren Yarbrough. Our theme song is by Ronan Cohn. So you can be found at patreon.com forward slash mass hysteria music, as well as facebook.com forward slash now Z here. Our logo was created by Mike Miller. You can find his work at michaelmiller.co. Marginally Geek is produced by Fake Geek Girl Productions. See you next time. Presented by Fake Geek Girl Productions, gracing the internet with gynocentric geek comedy since 2015. For more hilarity, find us on social media at FGGPeeps and visit FGGPeeps.com.